You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio, and I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney at law. However, I'm not your attorney. Uh, this uh, show isn't to give legal advice uh, in any way, shape, or form. It's just to be informative. Um, we'll spend the next hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors uh, and land surveying issues. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to jeff at americaswebradio.com. Uh, you can find out more about me at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Uh, check out our resources uh, on our webpage. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, um, good to be back with you here again this week. And for the last uh, several weeks, we have been going through uh, a little program that I call a new practice model, uh, which is uh, a program about um, about how we can we as the land surveying profession can um, jettison our current practice model, which is broken in many, many ways. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, um, and adopt a new practice model uh, that would be more beneficial to the practitioner and to the clients that we serve. So uh, we're, we're sort of in the middle of that program right now. We're in the middle of that discussion. Uh, we started out by uh, talking about uh, some of the problems. Uh-oh. Excuse me, folks. Um, <clears throat> one second. I've got, uh, did not disconnect the phone here at the office. Let me do that real quickly. And get back to the program. Okay, sorry about that. So, um we were discussing, uh, that this is a three parts to this program. We were discussing uh, the, the broken practice model that we have right now. And then we were getting into some, um, some um, uh, principles of retracement surveying that, um, uh, that even surveyors may or may not know about that. About. And then uh, the last part of the program, which I'm anticipating getting to this week, is describing uh, setting out a, um, a description of what a new practice model could, could look like and how it could be implemented. So that's, that's where we're headed here. Um, we, uh, last week ran out of time when I had gotten to, uh, and we were discussing, um, the boundary location principles, which I can tell you, uh, without, without a doubt that, uh, many, many surveyors who are actually doing retracement surveying work do not know about or do not understand or do not know how to implement uh, the boundary location doctrines. And what are the boundary location doctrines? Well, generally speaking, these are the rules that have been laid down uh, by the courts uh, for centuries uh, in this country. And uh, since we adopted the English common law when we became a nation, and the individual states also did uh, to the great, a great extent. There could be a few exceptions to that, uh, such as Hawaii, possibly, and maybe some other states, but uh, Texas, probably. But uh, by and large, all of the states, all of the what I would call the jurisdictions in the United States of America, adopted the English common law when we became a country, when and when those individual states became states. Which means 
that uh, the Eng- by adopting the English common law, then all of those uh, court cases, all of those court rulings that had happened uh, in England for the century, the century before we became a country, they all come in. They all came in as part of our uh, of our American jurisprudence. And um, and one of the the reason that is important from a surveying practice aspect and from a landowner's aspect, someone uh, wanting to hire a surveyor, is uh, the reason that's important is because the rules of the road, the law as it as it relates to uh, property boundary law and property uh, and location of property on the ground, is heavily infused uh, with court decisions. That's where the law is on boundaries. The law of boundaries is lo- is located is found within the court decisions in this country and the English common law that we adopted um, uh, after we became a country. So uh, that's where the law is found. <clears throat> there are a few statutory uh, type laws, statute statutes that uh, affect uh, property boundary law but but not many the the vast majority of the law as it relates to property boundaries and the question for the surveyor the loc- the location question where are the boundaries located on the ground those come from court decisions and that's where the boundary location doctrines are located They're, these aren't statutes uh, one is one uh, adverse possession is generally generally speaking is uh, statutorily driven, although uh, it's also influenced by case law as well, especially like in my state here in Alabama. If you read the statute on adverse possession, it, it's kind of hard to understand exactly how it gets implemented, and that's where the court decisions came in um, um, on adverse possession cases and sort of uh, defined and uh, aligned and um, uh, and helped to explain the application of the statute. So even in, in some states, like my, my state here in Alabama, um, if you just read the statute on adverse possession, uh, you, you, you come up scratching your head a little bit and wondering, well, exactly how does this apply? When does it apply? And uh, what about, uh, what, what about you know, um, uh, some of these issues like open and notorious? Uh, what, are, what are these issues, what do these terms mean? And uh, they they help to def- and that's where the courts come in and define what the statute has said has just uh, is actually saying, and that's exactly what our courts are supposed to do. They're supposed to interpret the law, not make it. But be that as it may, uh, in the boundary property boundary context, uh, a lot of law has been made by the courts uh, simply because they had they had to make the law in order to come up with a determination uh, of of where property boundaries are located on the ground. So heavily infused uh, with uh, court decisions. And, um, and, and and then to add on top of that, uh, even though I have come up with, uh, with I, what I feel is an exhaustive list of the location doctrines uh, by searching... Um, by searching court decisions in, and all across the country and uh, almost literally every state. Uh, I can't say every state, but almost literally every state. I have I have searched and found what I believe to be the exhaustive list of boundary lo- of the boundary location doctrines. And and again, um, even even some uh, seasoned land surveyors 
um, don't know of all of these principles and don't, or they don't know how and when to apply them. And in many cases, even um, some of our most revered publications in the land surveying profession, Evidence and Procedures, doesn't seem to understand the application of the, uh, of the uh, boundary location doctrines and or that they are not legal doctrines. They are, lo- they are factual questions. They are factual questions. They are doctrines of the fact of location. And this is something that uh, has just eluded the land surveying profession. It was eye-opening to me as I uh, discovered and dug in and uh, started to understand these location doctrines. Uh, unfortunately, just you know, later, <laughs> later in my career, uh, before I could uh, you know really, um, uh, it, it could really have been a, a positive impact on my uh, on my earlier career, and or I could have. Uh, pass this information along to others that I had mentored along the way. But before we even get to the location, doctors, here's here's the thing that we have to understand. Um, This is part of how do I apply the location, doctors. Now, just real quickly, adverse possession, uh, that's one of the doctrines we're going to talk about. The common grantor doctrine, doctrine of monuments, acquiescence, oral agreement. Uh, those are that's what I'm talking about when I say the location doctrine. So we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, in order to understand how to apply the doctrines, you, you gotta you gotta come up with you, you gotta understand uh, uncertainty. Okay, uncertainty when it comes to the written documents. The deed, generally speaking, we're talking about a deed when we're talking about the conveyance of land and title to property, uh, uncertainty in the documents, and the second part of the question, uncertainty in the location. Uncertainty in the documents, uncertainty in the location. And that's a, just another way of saying ambiguous. Either the, doc, either the documents are ambiguous uh, or the uh, uncertain or um, once... once um, um, field work is applied, and there's an attempt to locate the property on the ground. There's what's called a latent ambiguity. Uh, there's an there's uncertainty or ambiguity in the actual location of the property, as described in the title documents. Okay, so that's there. there and there are two types of uncertainty um, when it comes to the interpretation of deeds. And when I say the interpretation of deeds. What I'm generally speaking of uh, from a surveyor's perspective is the property description that's in the deed. Um, the surveyor has um, uh, very little to do with uh, uh, interpreting, or it's, it's, I'm going to say it's not necessary. Uh, that would be more of a legal question to actually determine whether you got a valid deed or not. Okay. Um, there's, there's a, that would be more of a legal question than a factual question. And uh, from my perspective, surveyors don't don't pass judgment on legal questions. <clears throat> we don't practice the law, and um, but we have to know the law. And we've discussed this on many occasions on the program. We we must uh, like a driver, uh, like a licensed driver driving down the road. You've got to know and apply the law to the facts of where you're driving, where you're stopping, whether you're going or, or, or stopping, going through red lights or going through green lights. You have to understand, um, you've got to know the law, 
and apply the law. Every citizen has to do that, and surveyors have to do that as well. Know and apply the law. But the, the, the question for the surveyor in the boundary retracement uh, context is, isn't, um, it's not questioning what the property is. It's the, the only question for the surveyor is the location question, where the property is located on the ground, and that's not a legal question. So we have, uh, there are two types of uncertainty. Um, there is subjective uncertainty. And that just simply means that um, the parties involved, and we'll just assume these would be landowners, the parties involved just don't know where the property line is located on the ground. That's subjective uncertainty. doesn't mean that the property line can't be found. It means that they just don't know. It's subjective. And then there's objective uncertainty. And that's when a uh, a sophisticated party or a party with the wherewithal to actually determine where the the property line is is located on the ground can't make that determination. That's where we get into that it would be called objective uncertainty. There was an attempt to find where the true property line is located on the ground, but because of of the uh, uh, objective uncertainty, either in the documents or the evidence on the ground, it can't be found for, for certain. All right, so anyway, we're going to a break, and we'll pick up there uh, after, uh, after these few words. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Uh, this is uh, the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. Uh, okay, we are talking about um, the boundary location doctrines, and we are talking about uh, how and when they apply. And uh, just as a, as a general proposition, as a general statement, they generally apply. They are applied when there is uncertainty, as to what the documents are saying and therefore where the location of the property is on the ground, or the documents are crystal clear, but there's still uncertainty as to location based on the evidence on the ground. So they, there has to be uncertainty, there has to be a or, uh, as the courts say, a dispute 
uh, or um, confusion. Uh, so the, the location doctrines aren't used unless there's confusion, a dispute, or uncertainty. Um, and, a, a, and a dispute generally is based, it is, it's generally based on an uncertainty. Um, and in and, and many of these boundary dispute cases, it has to do with two surveyors who went to the field with two different results. Um, on the face of it, prima facie, uh, or a, a, let's just say it this way, ostensibly um, uh, there was some sort of confusion either in the documents or the evidence on the ground that caused uh, the, uh, the two different results. Because the surveyor could be seen, at least in my mind, as an objective observer, okay? Uh, no dog in the fight, okay? Uh, so when we were talking before the break about subjective uncertainty, that would be the landowners. The landowners just don't know, and they, they, they don't know where the property line is, so they build a fence um, where they think it is. doesn't mean that it can't the, the true location of the boundary line cannot be found on the ground. They just don't know. That's subjective uncertainty. And then objective uncertainty, a surveyor <clears throat> or two surveyors. They, they go to the field. They don't have a dog in the fight. They're not subjective. They, they actually have the wherewithal to find where the property lines uh, are supposed to be on the ground or possibly where they've become established on the ground through the evidence that they're finding in the field. This would be extrinsic evidence. A survey is, in essence, extrinsic evidence. A survey of property is would be considered extrinsic evidence, unless it's called for directly in the deed, and then it's it's like uh, collateral evidence. Uh, it's something that comes alongside the deed to help interpret the deed. Uh, so... Um, You've got uh, so you have to have some kind of uncertainty, and that's that's uh, th- this is where uh, this is when I'm talking to the surveyors about this uncertainty. Um, there are a few exceptions to the rule, but if I'm talking to surveyors all across the country, and I'm not talking about specific law in a specific state, by and large, or let me put it this way, the majority rule. At least from my anecdotal evidence, from my research, from and this, I haven't proved this, and, and I haven't searched this out in all 50 states. But uh, the the majority rule seems to be, from my encountering this issue of uncertainty, is that in order for the boundary location doctrines to come into play, in other words, we're going to we're not going to. Uh, we're, we're going to leave the deed to a certain extent. The deed's still helpful. It's still a guidepost. But we're going to leave the deed to a certain extent, and we must look at the extrinsic, extrinsic and collateral evidence in order to actually interpret what the intent of the conveyance was. Because intent, when it comes to the conveyance of property, intent is king. Intent is king. But the absolute keys to the kingdom are ambiguities, uncertainties, because that tells us that tells us whether or not we can leave the deed to a certain extent to go figure out as surveyors to go figure out where the boundary lines, what the intent of the conveyance was, and therefore where the boundary lines have become established on the ground, not where they should have been established, but where they can't have become established on the ground. So we have to have uncertainty, and my advice to surveyors, just generally speaking, is you need to have objective uncertainty. It doesn't have to be 50-50 uncertainty. You just have objective uncertainty. 
the deed documents do not seem to describe where the boundary lines uh, apparently are on the ground. Or we have overlapping uh, properties uh, in the deeds, um, uh, or the the, uh, uh, the the center quarter, the center quarter of a section. Uh, the most confusing it's, it's actually not confusing. It's pretty straightforward. But it, the surveyors are confused over what to do with the center quarter. Uh, breaking sections down over and over and over again, and it doesn't. And you get out there, you're breaking, you're breaking the section down all anew, brand new, uh, using locally accepted quarter section corners because you haven't proven anything relative to the GLO locations. You break the section down, and you go to the center, uh, center, what's called the center quarter, the center of the section. You uh, on a piece of paper, you draw um, these magical lines uh, from the opposing quarter section corners, and it gives you a center point. You go to the field, and guess what? The fences and the monuments and everybody's expectation is a different location. So um, uh, th- th- that should th- that should cause any surveyor to pause. That should cause the surveyor to pause. Something else is at play here. The title documents put me in one location, but... The vast majority of the see it doesn't have to be fifty fifty. The vat the ninety nine point nine percent of the evidence is showing a different location. The only thing I have are measurements that put that 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 uh, put the center quarter in a place where it's never ever been before. That that should be a stop look and listen moment. But unfortunately, and in too many instances, it is not. Which tells me leads directly to the conclusion that surveyors, many surveyors, too many surveyors, have no idea about the uh, uh, about how and when to apply the location doctrines. So you need to have objective uncertainty, just as a general proposition. I'm just going to say that. I will also say that there are exceptions in some jurisdictions where the courts have actually said all you need is subjective uncertainty for boundary lines to move. The biggest problem with that is uh, it is in complete violation of the statute of frauds. The statute of frauds says you can't, and this is in all 50 states, uh, there's usually a statute somewhere, but this is also heavily infused with court decisions. Uh, just like uh, adverse possession and some other uh, statutory uh, 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 statute law, uh, legislative law. Um, <clears throat> well, I just lost that train of thought. Uh, anyway, um, um, so... Um, um, the uh, oh yeah, uh, subjective uncertainty. There are a few uh, locate. Yeah, it doesn't pass the uh, um, uh, muster under the statute of frauds. Uh, but in those few states where they do uh, accept mere subjective uncertainty uh, as to the location of a boundary in order to move the title lines over to this, let's just say it's a fence. They. They do some legal acrobatics to get to the point where it does pass muster under the statute of frauds. But uh, the, the majority of cases, uh, the majority of states, majority of jurisdictions want to see objective uncertainty. Uh, that way, uh, that way, it, it 
passes muster under the statute of frauds in that there is there here's the key and this is what a lot of surveyors and, and attorneys don't understand when 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 the boundary location is is uncertain we've got uncertainty and uh we've got um ambiguity the location doctrines when they are applied simply answer the factual location of of uh of factual question of location and there is at there is no conveyance of land there is no conveyance taking place so it totally bypasses the statute of frauds this, this is this is this is hard for uh for surveyors and title attorneys and title companies uh, to to understand is when we have objective uncertainty, the true line cannot be found. The true line cannot be found for certain. The true line cannot be found. And we apply the location doctrines to answer that factual question, where's the property located? Uh, the, The title question is, it's the northeast quarter of the section. Or it's the southwest of the northeast. Both both of those descriptions implicate the center of the section, and um, so the title documents are per- perfectly clear and unambiguous. But we go to the field, and there's 15 monuments in the ground and and two fence posts. So where where is it located? Uh, answering the location question, um, answering the location question, simply simply tells us where the ownership lines are actually located on the ground. There's no conveyance taking place. That's the biggest difference between adverse possession and all of these other location doctrines. When an adverse possession case is won, is argued, and won, the title to the property will change. The title to the property will change. It's no longer Lot 9. It's Lot 9 plus the west 10 feet of Lot 8. Because it was successfully, it was an adverse possession claim that was successfully tried in court, and there was an adjudication, and there was a court decree. All of that passing passing muster under the statute of frauds. So there is no uh, the, the, the location doctrines go bypass the statute of frauds because no conveyance no conveyance is taking place. No conveyance is taking place. And uh, that's hard to um, uh, that's hard to uh, for a lot of people, for judges, attorneys, surveyors, to wrap their brain about, uh, uh, to wrap their brain around. You mean uh, uh, my perfect breakdown of the section uh, is not where the property lines are located on the ground? Um, generally speaking, no. Generally speaking, no. Because if you're doing a breakdown of a section that's already been broken down, then you're that that's aberrant practice. That's that doesn't that doesn't the, the manual the manual uh, itself, 2009 manual and the 1973 manual does not support that result. Okay, um, we're up against a break, and we will uh, we'll pick up uh, uh, right here uh, when we get back. Want to remind everybody of the great shows that we've got going on here at America's Web Radio. Uh, one of the lead shows is the Doctor's Lounge every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And want to remind you, if you've never tried Quick Stakes, give them a call. 
order your samples, and let them know that you heard about them on America's Web Radio. We'll be back right after this. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. Okay. Um, without further ado, let's get to the boundary location doctrines. We've talked about, so we're not here. We're not looking at boundary location doctrines if we don't have some type of uncertainty, confusion, or conflict over over a property line. Generally, it'll be between two separate properties. So we're here. We have conflict. There's a lawsuit. We We have conflict. Uh, or you're simply, um, you're doing a retracement survey and you find conflict. You find uncertainty. You find ambiguities. Now, all, jur- all the jurisdictions agree that when we have, uh, when we have uncertainty, when we have ambiguities in the deed, uh, that would be, um, patent ambiguities on the face of the deed. It's ambiguous. Don't, can't understand what it says or a latent ambiguity, we go to the field and try to find it on the ground or put it on the ground, and there's uh, and there's uh, ambiguity or uncertainty. So we're not, <clears throat> if we don't have that, we're not here at the boundary location doctrine to, to, to answer the only question that they answer, and that's the location question. Although uh, at the top of the list is adverse possession. That's both a title doctrine and a location doctrine. Um, uh, the adverse... Uh, Adverse possession, though, uh, if it is, when it is adjudicated, um, will either change the title to the properties or the title to the properties will remain the same. So if someone is adversely possessing uh, the property of another, it's not within their deed, description, subdivision example, lot 9 Garfunkel subdivision, the, the lot nine uh, landowner is occupying the west ten feet of lot eight, and um, maybe successfully wins that adverse possession uh, that adverse possession case. Then the title to the landowner's property will change from lot nine, simply lot nine, to lot nine plus the west ten feet of lot eight. 
Okay, so or it'll remain the same, which means that the lot nine landowner lost the lawsuit. Uh, so it is a title. It is a title doctrine, but it all it will also settle the location question. Where's the property line between the land the, the the owner of lot nine and the owner of lot eight? It'll settle that question as well. So that's the factual question of location. Then there's a the common grantor doctrine. Remember, we're not we're not even talking about these doctrines unless we have ambiguity that allows us to leave the deed and look at the extrinsic evidence to find original intent of the conveyance. The original, I'll say it that way, of the conveyance. They, the courts usually say the intent of the grantor and to a lesser extent the grantee. To a lesser extent meaning that the grantee, you know, the grantor is in charge of the conveyance <coughs> and deemed in charge of the conveyance and the greater estate will pass and then the, um, uh, the grantee then uh, steps into the role of reliance upon uh, upon representations that were made, the reliance on the monuments on the ground, the reliance and the property rights attaching based on the reliance. So, But we'll just say the intent of the transaction, the intent of the conveyance, um, because that's what it's all about. We're, we, we're trying to find out what was intended to be conveyed. Intent is king, but ambiguities are the key because ambiguities allow us then allow the courts, but the surveyors always, the surveyors always in a position to uh, consider any and all evidence. The, co- the courts don't, and, and they can't. They can only consider relevant evidence, um, and, and that is properly um, uh, admitted uh, into the record. Um, but the surveyor is not limited in that respect. So the surveyor's court is always open to uh, extrinsic evidence. And when there's uh, un- uncertainty and ambiguities and and, the, and such, uh, all all the jurisdictions, all the courts in, in all 50 states allow for extrinsic evidence to come in and uh, help interpret the intent of the conveyance. Not so much with contracts, not so much with contracts, not so much with legislation. These are called the rules of construction. Okay, these are part of the rules of construction. Um, but yes. Uh, relative to uh, conveyance of land, because because the, the, just the act of attempting to describe property that exists on the ground, describe dirt on the ground, a chunk of dirt on the ground on a piece of paper, is imbued with ambiguity. It's imbued with ambiguity. Not so much contracts. You're not trying to describe, generally speaking, you're not trying to describe uh, a piece of property on the ground. You're describing uh, interactions between folks, uh, either business or personal interactions, uh, where there is an offer and acceptance, uh, consideration, etc. All of those, uh, all of those factors that play into a contract. And so, um, uh, the, the courts as the, are not as uh, acceptable um, to bringing in, in extrinsic evidence to help explain contract terms to them uh, because the courts are perfect. These are all legal questions. The courts are perfectly capable of interpreting contract language, and therefore they don't need anybody to come in and tell them what the contract language means. So uh, not so much contracts, but deeds, yes, uh, imbued with uh, uncertainty from from the get-go. From birth, from the get-go, uh, there's there's always some 
level of uncertainty when it comes to describing land on a piece of paper that exists on the um, on the face of the earth. All right, so uh, the, the the top my top uh, location doctrine is the common grantor doctrine. How and when is it applied? First of all, there has to be uncertainty. Second, the second test is uh, it's not even in play unless there was a common grantor involving the properties. That would generally be a subdivision. We, we generally would think of that as a subdivision. you got a developer comes in, develops a piece of property, causes the, the property to be subdivided on the ground and monuments placed in the ground. Uh, that's the common grantor doctrine. And when there's a... Uh, all the courts say this. Uh, not all surveyors agree, but all the courts say this. When the, the when and there's a there's a presumption here. The presumption is that when the monuments are in the ground, or the common grantor causes the land to be subdivided, and the stakes and the monuments are put on the ground, then what happens is the grantor grants and the grantee uh, is conveyed the uh, the dirt surrounded by the monuments. And of course, the lines, the imaginary lines that go from monument to monument to monument to monument. So they buy the dirt. They don't buy what's on that piece of paper, generally speaking. So that's the common grantor doctrine. You can't common grantor doctrine is inapplicable unless there's a common grantor. There's a unity, as they say, unity of ownership somewhere back in time. And this would also uh, implicate uh, junior senior conveyances, which I have further down on the list. We'll get to that in a bit. Doctrine of monuments, um, almost indistinguishable from the common grantor doctrine, uh, other than the fact that the common grantor doesn't necessarily have to be involved, and uh, doctrine of monuments can even apply when there is no unity of own ownership uh, or the common grantor is nowhere to be found, okay, uh, or we don't know who that person is or what they did. Uh, original surveyor, following surveyor. Okay, these are um, um, uh, basically uh, retracement theory, but it's also a location doctrine. Where the original surveyor put it on the ground, that settles the location issue. That settles the location issue, and the following surveyor, the principle of retracement surveying is the following surveyor accepts ACCEPTS, not EXCEPTS, it accepts the location as laid out by the original surveyor, not because that original surveyor was just you know a great guy, best surveyor ever. It was it was George Washington, so we're going to honor him. No, it has everything to do with what the landowners did as a result of the original survey. It has everything to do with what the landowners did as a result of the original survey. Did they go into reliance on those monuments? When does a monument, when is a piece of steel just a piece of steel? When is it a monument? When is a chunk of concrete just a chunk of concrete? And when is it an, a monument? It's when the people, the landowners, glom onto those monuments, go into reliance on those monuments, because that's when their property rights, under American jurisprudence, that's when their property rights attach to those lines and those monuments. And acquiescence, acquiescence is basically we have uncertainty, um, we have objective uncertainty, and uh, the la- and the, somehow offense usually it it it, it, um, it involves offense. Not always. It could be it could involve Lynn Road, Northrop versus Opperman, Lynn Road, which was built right down the section lines. The acquiescence of the people 
was into the into Lynn Road as the true and correct section line was evidence. Acquiescence has two functions. It can be evidence, and it could be the best available evidence as to the true location of the of the boundary lines on the ground or the section line on the ground. In the Northrop versus Opperman case, um, it was the best available evidence because nobody proved anything. None of the surveyors, nobody proved anything relative to the original geolocations of the, of, the, of the monuments involved, of the section lines and the section corners involved. Nobody proved anything. The best available evidence in the GLO setting, in the public lands race setting, would be the original monuments set by the original GLO surveyors. We can go deeper than that, but don't have time. Um, that's the best available evidence is the original monument locations. What happens when the original monument locations have disappeared? They become obliterated. Not lost, obliterated. Uh, all of the accessories are gone. Uh, all of the, the witness trees and everything are gone. It's still not lost. It's obliterated. What's the next best available evidence? That is the that is the retracement surveyor's criterion. Best available evidence. When the monuments disappear, what's next? Generally speaking, it's going to be the occupation. And in that case, the road, <clears throat> the GLO surveyors came out in the eighteen six in the late eighteen sixties, and they laid out the sections. Twenty years later. The local government condemned for a road right down the section lines. The road got built. Then a hundred years later, the question comes up, is, this, is the road actually the section line or are these other monuments we found over here? Not GLO monuments, the retracement monuments uh, or resurvey monuments of the local county surveyor who, who, who did the survey in the, the early 1900s, and here we are in the early 2000s or 2011. What's the best available evidence? The monuments set by the uh, the county surveyor who resurveyed and proved nothing in 19 uh, in 1900, or is it where where Lynn uh, Road was actually built? And acquiesced into for uh, acquiescence as evidence. Everybody accepted the road acquiescence as a boundary. They acquiesced into the boundary and into the road, and therefore that became the best available evidence is where the, the true section line was actually located. Oral agreement. We have to have uncertainty, subject uh, uh, objective uncertainty. Um, in order for two landowners to orally agree to a location, and then you know what? That's that's the same as that's the same as uh, any that what can happen in any boundary dispute case that goes to court. It could be it could be uh, mediated, and the landowners can agree. They can agree to split the baby if they want to. Now, the difference between an oral agreement that two landowners make out in the uh, uh, you know out in the open. And an, uh, an agreement that they come to a mediation is the mediation agreement will be memorialized. So uh, we've got a couple more of these to go through, uh, and we'll get to those uh, after the break. And uh, we'll see you after these these words. 
Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today that's right call them today and get your sample if you've never tried them if you tried them and like them well it's a good day to order some more it, business is coming your way I guarantee you after uh, all that we've gone through this year, Quick Stakes is the answer to the business that's going to be coming your way very shortly. We'll be back with Jeff right after this. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. And we are talking about uh, the boundary location doctrines, uh, how and when to apply them. Right before the break, we, uh, I mentioned oral agreement. An oral agreement is a perfectly legitimate location doctrine. Um, in, in my mind, as long as we have uh, objective uncertainty. And again, there are a few jurisdictions will, that will accept subjective uncertainty, but um, by and large, I'm going to say the surveyor, the retracing surveyor needs objective uncertainty. And then if we have objective uncertainty as to uh, an oral agreement as to where the boundary line is, uh, that's a perfectly legitimate location, Doctor. Now, here's the problem with oral agreements of, of all stripes, oral contracts and oral agreements, is what were the terms of the agreement? And then, <clears throat> so without those terms, we need to know what the what the uh, landowners agreed to. So we're going to need the landowners or a landowner who can uh, tell us about uh, the agreement. So enough time goes by, though. Uh, those uh, the original parties to the oral agreement uh, move on or, or pass away or or whatever they're they're no longer available. Um, what happens then is um, something like acquiescence kicks in because uh, they they may have memorialized the agreement and generally they're not coming to an agreement unless they do they're planning on doing something like building a fence. So they built a. They came to an oral agreement to an objectively uncertain line, and they built a fence. And everybody was happy for ten, fifteen, twenty years. Um, then it's kind of the, the, the oral agreement is kind of irrelevant. It, it's just the thing that allowed the fence to be built, uh, and now acquiescence kicks in. 
everybody has acquiesced to this fence, and there's no better location for it than uh, this location because this location has been uh, has been in essence honored by the uh, by the adjoining landowners for 10, 15, 20 years. Repose. Um, the 2009 manual actually, for the very first time, as far as I can tell, used the word repose when it comes to this issue of the center quarter and and constantly breaking sections down over and over and over again. And I guess a lot of surveyors still haven't gotten the message on that. But repose. What is repose? We're just uh, the court. This is a court-made rule. All of these are court-made rules. These aren't statutorily imposed. There are statutory uh, periods of of repose, but I'm talking about the common law repose. What that simply means is we're just going to leave it alone. We're not going to mess with it. That center quarter has been there for 100 years. We're just not going to mess with it. That subdivision was put in the ground 50 years ago. And, and a certain new surveyor comes along, breaks the section down, and says the, the whole, the entire subdivision needs to be moved four to five feet to the west. Deal versus Zanger, a Cooley opinion. City surveyor came along and said the entire subdivision needs to move four to five feet to the west. No, it doesn't. We're just going to leave it in repose for the peace and tranquility of society. That's what. All of these location doctrines are seeking to do maintain the. Sta- they're all trying to maintain the status quo. It, and it, this is a public policy issue for the peace and tranquility of society. This is a public policy issue. This is a peace and tranquility of society issue. We're simply going to leave it alone. Everybody's happy. Why should we move an entire subdivision because some surveyor, some misguided, I should add, surveyor comes along and says we need to move the entire subdivision four to five feet to the east or west, whichever way it was. That's an actual case, Deal versus Zanger. I think 1888, Michigan Supreme Court, Justice Cooley, uh, Justice Cooley giving us an opinion there. Um, and it continues to this day, unfortunately. Estoppel. We only have two more left here. Estoppel. That's a location question as well. All of these are location questions except for adverse possession. Estoppel. Basically, estoppel is if someone has taken one position and another and another goes into reliance on that position, then later the first party decides they want to change their position. They can't. There will be a stop, especially if there's been, like, improvements. So you have two neighbors. Uh, and they don't know where the fence, uh, they don't know where the property line is. And so they get together and, or the one neighbor asks, uh, the, the, the second neighbor, hey, I'm, I want to build a fence. And second neighbor says, well, where do you want to build it? And they don't know. This would even happen with subjective uncertainty, I would imagine. They don't even know if enough time goes by. They don't know. But, but in some cases it won't, uh, if there's not objective uncertainty. So we'll just say there's there's objective uncertainty. This might even work with subjective uncertainty. But anyway, let's not get stuck up on that. Uh, let's not get stuck on that. So uh, the second neighbor says, well, where do you want to build it? And he shows them a line. The first neighbor says, shows them a line. I want to build it right here. What do you think? 
And uh, the second neighbor says, that's fine with me. Second neighbor has taken a position. That's fine with me. Uh, then um, the first neighbor um, then makes then spends money and makes improvements. It's pretty expensive to put a fence up. Pretty, I mean, just a relatively small fence. We, we just we just got a quote. I'm putting up a relatively small fence in a relatively small backyard. Uh, we're talking maybe uh, 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 about. Um, Somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, of two hundred feet of fence, two hundred feet uh, feet of privacy fence, fifty six hundred dollars. Yeah, I know. I choked on that too. Um, building fences and moving fences is, is really expensive. So, first neighbor builds the fence based on the uh, based on the um, uh, the assurances of the of the other neighbor. That that location would be fine. So then, some a few years, you know, go by. Let's say ten years or so, and uh, the the second neighbor, the one who agreed to the location of the fence, gets a survey for whatever reason of the property and finds out that the fence is five feet over the line where the surveyor said the line is onto onto his property, and now wants uh, that uh, that uh, the neighbor to move the fence over to the true and correct property line. Well, if you go in and argue a stopple, that's, that's probably going to work. I don't have a case that I can cite right off the top of my head, but uh, an estoppel would probably work in a subjectively uncertain situation as well, because that would just be your legal, you know, that would be your argument going in, uh, the legal argument of, uh, of a stopple, although it is a location doctrine. Uh, your Honor, uh, the, uh, the neighbor should be stopped. From uh, asserting any new claim, had a chance to assert the claim. It's kind of like repose. Too much time's gone by. Too much time's gone by. Has gone by. Okay, and the last one we're going to consider is junior senior conveyances. This is also, in essence, a location issue. It's not really a. It's it's not a title fight. Uh, what do you ha- need to have in order to have a junior senior um, situation? You got to have a common grantor, so this kind of harkens back to the common grantor doctrine. But a junior senior conveyance, um, the the basic rule of construction for junior senior senior conveyances, and what are the rules of construction? These are the rule the court made rules for interpreting uh, ambiguous deeds, uh, confusing deeds, uh, and in a junior senior conveyance issue, the confusion is there's an ostensible overlap or there's an ostensible gap coming out of a common grantor. Uh, when the common grantor made that last conveyance out, there was a there was an over there was an overlap or there was a gap. And so um, the the rule of construction on how to interpret that deed is all the courts say the senior gets what the senior was conveyed and the junior gets what's left over. The senior gets what the senior gets, the junior gets what's left over. If it is apparent, if the presumption can be made, remember inferences and presumptions, if the presumption can be made, uh, and you can generally tell this by looking at the descriptions, if the presumption can be made that the uh, the common grantor was attempting to divest himself or herself of all that they owned when they made that junior conveyance, they were attempting to convey everything else. 
without leaving any gaps or, or and certainly they can't they can't create overlaps. Um, then um, the the senior gets what the senior gets, the junior gets what's left over, either more or less. And therefore, another rule of construction is a junior deed must always be read in light of the senior conveyance. The ju- Let me say that again. The junior deed, you can't read the junior deed without reading the senior conveyance. The senior conveyance gets, gets read first because the rule is, the rule of construction, the general rule of construction is the junior gets what's left over. Now, if they end, if it's uh, your proverbial forty-acre track, thirteen twenty by thirteen twenty, the uh, the common grantor conveyed out the uh, west six hundred and sixty, ostensibly half, the west six hundred and sixty, and then later conveyed out the east six hundred and sixty. Then uh, there was an attempt. Uh, the presumption can be made that there was an attempt when the con- junior conveyance was made. There was an attempt to divest himself, the common grantor, to divest himself of all that all that he owned. Because thirteen you know, six sixty plus six sixty, thirteen hundred and twenty. Uh he thought he, the presumption could be made that uh he thought he was conveying a, he had thirteen twenty by thirteen twenty, never got a survey done. He was conveying all that he owned. Uh didn't uh, but you create a if you create an overlap if with that junior conveyance then um, the, the common grantor could not have conveyed anything west of the east boundary of the west 660 feet. Didn't own it. Uh, if there's a gap left over, then uh, the gap goes to the junior. But what if there's what if there, it's a 30 foot gap and there's a road going down that gap to land owned by the common grantor to the rear? Then the presumption be, can be overcome. Listen, uh, that is my uh, my help here uh, at the office, uh, uh, wanting to uh, go on a break. And so uh, we're about done here with the radio program. And I thank everybody for being here this, uh, being here today. And we will talk again next Monday. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.